Here we go. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven. And after going to the tomb, the angel rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. And the guards were so afraid that they shook and became like dead men. The angel of the Lord said to Mary, said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. And then go quickly and tell the disciples that he is risen from the dead and that he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with, <clears throat> yet filled with joy, and they went to tell his disciples. Then suddenly Jesus met them. They ran to him. They fell at his feet and worshiped him. Jesus said to the women, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to meet me in Galilee, for there they will see me. Amen. Thank you, Jill. What a blessing. I love it when Jill does that. This morning I went up and I asked Cole, I said, who's reading the word this morning? And he says, Jill Donovan. I said, yes. I got the A-team. Good morning. All right, so Cole asked me to speak today, and uh, I'm going to sit here so I can see these screens. That's why I'm down here. But, um, and I said, okay, great. What are we talking about? And he says, Matthew 28. And I went to the Great Commission, and I thought, that's so exciting. I get marching orders, take on the world. And he said, yeah, it's verses 1 through 10. And I'm like, oh, the resurrection? Like, trying to ask me to, or any of us, to speak on the resurrection of Christ. Um, it's the cornerstone of our faith, right? I mean, Paul says, if this isn't true, we're all wasting our time. We ought to just go have a party. And so, the weight and the gravity of the resurrection is, um, is substantial. And in the last few days, Jen will tell you, she says, you look stressed. I'm like, I'm just processing. I'm just saying, God, what do you want me to say? Here's what I'd like to start with. This is a picture in February of 22. I had a chance to go back to Israel. And at that time, it had been closed down because of COVID. So imagine all the biblical sites and all the famous like crowded areas um, that are usually overrun with the throngs of tourists were just vacant. And we had a chance to go to the garden tomb, and I took this picture. And between the garden tomb and the church of the Holy Sepulchre, the biblical scholars believe that one of those two places is where uh, Jesus rose from the grave. We had a chance that day to go into both, and I mean, nobody was there. We had the whole place to ourselves, and we just hung out in the garden tomb and at the church of the Holy Sepulchre. And I can confirm that the tomb is empty, all right? <laughs> Praise God. But as we read, well, as you see a picture like this, I'd ask, what thoughts come to mind? And you've seen, I mean, they make necklaces uh, of the empty tomb, and you've got kids' coloring pages of the empty tomb. And we hear, up from the grave he arose, and 
he rolled the stone away in the empty tomb. When you hear these words, what comes to mind? We're going to look back over the scripture that we just read, that Jill just read. And how often do we read a scripture like this, this passage, and we blow right through it because it's part of that day's Bible reading? How often do we go past things that, if they were written in the Wall Street Journal, would cause all the TV stations to be taken over. And so in this, I highlighted a few of these words that popped out. So there was a great earthquake because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came down and rolled a stone away and sat on it. And his appearance was like lightning. What if that happened today? I mean, do we, are we so comfortable and numb in our faith experience, that these things don't put us in a state of awe and just make us dumbfounded by the incredible, miraculous, something we can't even conceive. The angel then speaks to the women. He knows what they're seeking. He talks to them. They have this interaction. And then as they're running away with fear and great joy, they run into Jesus and he says, greetings, and their response is rightly to fall at his feet and worship him. And like any time that angels speak, they start by saying, don't be afraid. Because the angels, when they appear as humans, our knees buckle and we fall down, right? So this morning, we're going to talk about not just those 10 verses, but I'm going to expand it just a little bit. We're going to talk about the story of the Bible, okay? Um, I told Cole this morning and uh, Andy, and Andy, thanks, all of your hymns that you chose this morning were just perfect. I'd love to go back and just kind of read through the lyrics after this, but I told him this morning, I said, this could either be great or it can be an absolute train wreck because I'm going to try to cover all the story of the Bible and all of eternity that you could spend a thousand lifetimes covering. I'm going to try to cover that in 25 minutes. And so just hang on. Um, what I'd like to do before we start, though, is, is just invite the Holy Spirit to come and to speak to us and to guard my words and to, to tender our, tenderize our hearts so that we can hear from him. There you go. And um, if you feel comfortable with this, I like to kind of posture myself sometimes to hear from God. And so I'd ask you to just close your eyes, and if you feel comfortable with it, just open your hands up on your lap, just to, in a posture of receiving from God, like a kid who's about to receive a gift. So Holy Spirit, we just invite you to be here. We know that you are here. You've promised that where two or more are gathered, you are here in our presence. And so we acknowledge that, God. We ask that you would give us ears to hear. I ask that you'd give me the right words to speak, and you'd Shut my lips to anything that's not from you. And that you just let us uh, see your love for us and your power and your perfect plan and the person of Jesus in a fresh realization, God. We thank you for revealing yourself to us. We thank you for pursuing a relationship with your creation. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. You ready? 
So we start out, and uh, the thing that I want to start with is that in the first chapter, we're going we're gonna to do this through a story that has four parts, four scenes of a play. Um, and each one, we're going to kind of go through it very quickly, kind of like a comet going past the earth. Um, but what I'd love for you to take away from this is that when it starts out, in the miracle of creation, God established a world of life, beauty, and glory. He did this by his will, through his power, and that's the power of his love. And he did this for his glory. That's where the story begins. So if we start with, you know, the resurrection just points me back to the fact that I was a person of sin and Christ died on the cross and then he rose and then he took my sin away. And that's the whole of the story. We're missing some incredibly powerful parts of the full gospel that the Bible lays out. In the first scene, what we look at, when we look at eternity past to creation, you've got eternity past to eternity future, and then the Bible shows that there is this space-time universe that begins at a point after the first page, after the second verse, and it goes to a point um, in the book of Revelation. And that's what we know as human history. Okay? And in this first scene, when the curtains pull back, we see that God is present. He is in glory. And nothing exists. And it says, the Spirit hovered over the waters. <laughs> Everyone doesn't need to read all this stuff. I'm, I'm going to... I'll, I'll keep this up there, but it's, there's a lot to read, okay? The Spirit hovered over the waters, and Jesus was present. John 1 says that he was there, present. So you had the Trinity in the heavens, and God created a, a good creation, okay? The Bible says that God created not only earth and the Garden of Eden, but he created the heavens and the earth, and all that was within those. And a lot of times we focus on the animals and the fish and the people. But at that time, he also created the heavenly hosts. He created beings in the spirit realm that interacted with the physical realm. And the heavens and the earth were separated, but there were times that they came together. The whole place started in the Garden of Eden. And what, what mankind had at that point in the Garden of Eden was perfect communion with God. We had the ability to interact with God. The Bible says that Adam and Eve would walk with God in the cool of the evenings. Like last night when the temperature dropped and you felt how good it felt to walk in the cool of the evenings. Imagine having perfect communion with God, letting him know everything that's going on with you, letting him speak life into all parts and there was also work and there was direction and there was dominion where God said, I'm going to give you some marching orders here. I'm going to give you the ability to fashion the raw materials of creation into things that are life-giving. So whereas God says, let there be, and there was nature, man can say, let there be, and there's culture. And that's called the cultural mandate, that we have the ability where God says, I'm going to give you iron ore, and we can say, and I'm going to fashion that into... Um, this tool where God can say, let there be pigs, and we can say, let there be smoked ribs. Amen? 
So this is the cultural mandate. This is the world that we were born into, and there was no sin, and we walked in communion with God. His other marching order at that time, he says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And I love that part. You know, just uh, in, in terms of families and bringing life into the world, what a miracle that is that we could actually be part of that. But also just thinking, I want to take this earth, the creation, and I want to infuse the glory of God through his attributes into cultural artifacts that reflect the life and the love and the freedom that we find in God. Okay, So that's where it starts. Um, I'm looking at the verses here. So he made man in his own image. That's one thing that is really, really important to remember, that he made us in his image. Unique amongst all creation, he made us in his image. Okay, but we know that there is, the plot thickens, right? So Genesis 3, we get into the rebellion of creation, and there's three parts of the rebellion that I'll bring out. I don't want to hang out too much here, because this is a, a rabbit hole we could go down, but there's the one that we all know about, Genesis 3, the serpent appears to Eve. He says, hey, you want to be like God? Basically, do you not trust his character and his goodness? Do you not trust the station of life that he's put you in? I'm going to allow you to come from the earth up into the heavens and you can be like God. And they were trying to combine that heaven and earth separation apart from God's will. And then if you fast forward, and so she took the fruit, she gave it to Adam, they sinned, and that's the fall of man. In Genesis 6, there's this really trippy, weird chapter that a lot of pastors would avoid because it's just so weird. And it's when the sons of God see the daughters of man and they say that they're attractive and they come and actually have sexual relationships with them and create a tribe of giants called the Nephilim. How weird is that? How many people have heard that sermon preached in church? <laughs> so this is the fall of the heavenly host who did not like their station in life, wanted to combine the heaven and the earth separation apart from the will of God. So you've got the fall of man, you've got the fall of the heavens, creations in rebellion. The Nephilim that they created went on to do the Tower of Babel, and that's why God was so upset about the Tower of Babel. I'm like, who cares if you're above your height restrictions in the ancient world? But God says, no, this is wrong, and it's because of that that he separated mankind around the world. So, things go from bad to worse. In terms of the setting, it starts... On the rebellion, it starts in the garden, um, it scatters about throughout the earth, and it leads us into the second act, okay? The second scene in the play starts out, and this is the next 4,000 years that show God's faithfulness. And that could be juxtaposed against man's unfaithfulness, against our unfaithfulness. Mm -hmm. In Luke 10, Jesus says that he saw Satan was cast down to earth. He watched it like lightning, down to the earth. And so the fallen heavenly host are cast down to earth and they're limited into roaming around in the spirit realm on creation. The characters in this start out with Yahweh. And there's some heroes of the faith that we're all familiar with. Abraham, Moses, 
and David. But we don't see God just working with one person on an individual basis. We see God desiring to have a whole people, a community of believers that are brought to him. An interesting thing happens, and whereas in the garden we connected with God directly, and that was like a temple experience, in this section of the Old Testament, you've got God creating a way that allows mankind to connect with him. It happens in the tabernacle, and it happens in the temple, and it's God creating a place and a time where he can reconnect with people. And it requires a sacrifice. It requires that we bring something in and that there's a death to be paid. During this time, because of our brokenness, a lot of men um, and women are taking glory for themselves by force. And so you get into slavery and you get into oppression and you get into domination and all the ways that mankind could ruin creation and try to thwart God's original plan, that's what you have. And in the midst of that, Moses comes up to God on Mount Sinai and he says, it's been so long since I've seen your glory. People are trying to take it for themselves. God, show me your glory. And in that moment, instead of the big bang type of experience with lightning and explosion that you would have seen in creation, God shows him his glory. He puts him into a cleft in the rock and he walks past them. But what is it that happens at that time? When God shows his glory, he speaks of his attributes and he reminds Moses of his character. And so he says, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to the thousands and forgiving wickedness and rebellion and sin. God repeated his character. After the rebellion of creation, God comes back and says, I'm not an angry, wrathful God. That is not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is one who's compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and forgiving sin and forgiving rebellion and finding a way to restore communion with man. After this, in Exodus 35 through 38, you see God laying out the plan of the tabernacle and laying out the plan of the offerings so that we could restore our connection with God. In the next chapter, we get Jesus, the cross, and the resurrection. And this is the hero of the story because through all of the Old Testament, there was nothing that we could do to restore glory back to mankind. And Jesus was the first one that came in and he was all heaven and he was all earth the heavens and the earth combined into the physical body of one perfect immortal Savior who came down to earth and was born and walked amongst us. And he lived without sin. And through the thousands of years that we practice these sacrifices in a way to restore our right standing before God, Jesus came and he says, I am the Lamb of life. And he was the perfect sacrifice. When he was killed on the cross and he was taking the brunt of sin and all of the thousands of years of accumulated uh, rebellion against God. He absorbed all of that and at that point in time I think that evil celebrated. The demons cheered because they thought that they had won the day. And Jesus absorbed all of that into himself 
And the good news that we walk in today is that the love of God was strong enough to create life where there was absolute death and sin and destruction. And Jesus willed himself in the same way that God had created the world out of nothing. Jesus had a power that the demons could not understand. Jesus willed himself to step forward in life and love from the grave in a garden, maybe the one that I saw. Another day, life was created and it started a new revolution that gives us the ability to walk in faith. So we get into this next chapter, and this is life in the kingdom. When Jesus was on earth, there were a couple times that he said, be saved, you need to be saved. There were a couple times that he said, you should be born again. When he was talking to Nicodemus, he says, yeah, you should be born again. But most of the time when Jesus was talking to people about what is the truth of God, he used this phrase, he says, I've come, repent, the kingdom of God is near. He talks about life in the kingdom. It started in the garden, maybe in the garden where we saw that picture and where our scripture reading was today. But in time, in just the next uh, verse after what we read today, when Jesus went and he gave the great commission, he says, go into all the world, into Judea, into Samaria, to the ends of the earth. That allocation of authority that God had given to the nation of Israel over a specific piece of promised land now was given to the body of Christ over the whole world. It's without geographical limits. Whereas God before had said, I need you to create a tabernacle so that I can come and meet with you. Or I need you to build a temple so that you can come into my presence. Now, the power of the Holy Spirit comes into us as believers, and we are the temple. So we're walking around through the world, taking that direct communion with God everywhere we go. In terms of authority and glory, the disciples came to Jesus one time and they said, how do you do all these things? And Jesus says, works, greater works than these will be done through you by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Paul says that the power that raised Jesus from the dead is put into each of us as we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Something that the, the Old Testament could never comprehend and that the disciples had never felt until the day of Pentecost. Jesus simplified it. In the Old Testament and the Torah, they had 613 laws that were given to them. And Jesus says, I'm going to make it real simple. Here's two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. You do these things and you sum up all of those commandments. Amen. And then in the Great Commission, he says, go, make disciples. Teach them the things that I've taught you. That's life in the kingdom. That's what life is about. As you go on beyond that, there will be a day that Jesus comes back. And we have the return of the king. And we look forward to that day and we know it's going to come. And it takes us into the final chapter of the play. In the final chapter of the play, we see a new heaven and a new earth. The main characters of this play, like at the beginning, are the Trinity, who existed at creation, and those whose names are written in the book of life. We have a community, a body, a church, of people who are following after King Jesus. 
This all takes place in the new Jerusalem, and in terms of authority and glory, not only are we delivered from the penalty of sin, not only are we delivered from the power of sin, and that's where we get to live right now, but in the new kingdom, there will be deliverance from the presence of sin. It is going to be pushed out, and we can live the life that God originally intended us to. Our purpose in this time is to live in the recreation. And I used to think that this would mean that we would be taken away to another place. Honestly, right now, I think that when Jesus said, Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I think he's saying, you have glory, you have authority, your, uh, your love and your life are absolute in God's glory in heaven, and we as a church need to figure out how to bring that into our experience here on earth. And I think that's what we're called to, and that we get to be part of that is an amazing blessing. We've got a uh, short six-minute video that I want to show, because these guys do a better job explaining this than I could ever do it. But thanks for letting me get through the whole Bible in 25 minutes. <laughs> 